Um, our kids are downstairs, and my kid is one of them. Uh, both my kids are downstairs, two of my kids are downstairs, and uh, one of them is leading this morning, um, which is really cool. I, I think I shared this a number of weeks back, but Kristen has started equipping our kids to lead our kids. Um, that's awesome. She she sends them a little little note with some instructions on how to go about learning this passage. Starting by reading the passage a couple of times and then asking God what's important about it, and then waiting for his response, and then learning how to facilitate that kind of conversation among the kids, too. It's pretty special. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless them this morning as well. Um also just want to recognize um actually before I get to that, I will do one announcement as well because I see this up here. Um Angel Tree. Today is the last day to give to Angel Tree, and we are in need of dough, and we are in need of drivers. Okay, so if you would like to give to the Angel Tree project, today's the last day to do it. You can do it with an envelope and just stick it in the box that's out by that irrigator back there. Just mark it special project, put that, um, check that box, or you can do it on Pushpay as well. Uh, so those of you who give electronically, or you can just send an email to our bookkeeper with an e-transfer, and then just note in the line there that that's that it's for Angel Tree because we uh, giving is a little bit down for Angel Tree, and so that's probably my fault that I haven't mentioned it each week, and so I apologize for that. But today's the last day to give for that project, so please do give. Uh, this church has always been very generous with that project. In fact, often from year to year we carry over funds that were left over to the next year. And so I love that for that to be the case again this year as well. That's how we are in need for that project still. So once again, it's money and drivers that we're looking for um, because we've been given a number of families spread across central Alberta um, whose kids are going to be looking for something from their incarcerated parent. And this is a way of um, showing a whole bunch of people love this year. So if you could um, keep that in mind and helps the CADUs if you would like a little bit more information about driving this year. And they will get back to us on the date with a wrapping party happening around here soon. Okay. Um, Blue Christmas. Uh, I know at least one of you attended a Blue Christmas this year. And uh, Richard, our, our friend here at the back running sound today, mentioned that uh, his grandmother passed this week. And so for, as always, when we approach this time of year, there are always some people who are experiencing sort of that year of births, uh, having lost someone recently, and coming up to Christmas is particularly difficult. So I just want to take some time in prayer to remember those who are grieving at the moment as well. So we're going to bless those downstairs. We're going to pray for those who are grieving. And we're going to move into our scriptures. Let's pray. Lord, I start first with those who are grieving. I think of so often in your scriptures, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion and then did something about it, whether it was feeding hungry people or whether it was healing those who were sick or whether it was teaching because he saw a crowd of people who were like sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them and he taught them. And so, Lord, we, we see this so often in Jesus, 
So Lord, would you once again be that Jesus to the people who are grieving at the moment? So pray in particular for Richard and for his family as they mourn the loss of a, a grandmother, so mourn the loss of a family member. I pray that you would bless them with comfort and peace during this time. And I pray for others who have been, in a sense, celebrating or anticipating a blue Christmas because they have lost someone recently. I think of the Stover family and approaching Christmas for the first time. I think of others who've just recently been uh, still continuing to grieve the loss of someone in the last year or two. And, and, and pray that um, just like Jesus sent the Comforter, that you would once again send the Comforter into these particular situations to meet people where they are right now as they, they navigate the tension of, a, a, of joy to the world with a lack of peace going on inside me at the moment because there's a loss. So Lord, would you, would you bring that joy and that peace to that place of loss and bring comfort? And would you give them the hope that there is in Christ so that it becomes not one person missing another um, alone, but now one person grieving alongside, um, and, and Jesus grieving alongside and with and carrying person in the family in need at the moment. So Lord, would you be that comforter? And would you make us people who who walk in the footsteps of Jesus to comfort those in need. I think of the Apostle Paul saying in 2 Corinthians that we comfort others with the comfort that we have received, having gone through something like that ourselves. So Lord, make us a blessing to others. And Lord, right now we hear lots of kid noise downstairs, which is wonderful, and we, we pray your blessings over them. And, and as they enter into your word, as they enter into the Christmas story this morning, would, would it be so much more than simply something on a page? Would you make it an encounter with Jesus where they hear your voice, where they see your presence, and where they recognize the, the, the ways that you are speaking to them and addressing them and want to walk with them through this Christmas time celebrating the greatest gift that there is? So Lord, bless them, God, done this morning. May many hear you and meet you. May you be honored by the way that they move through their time downstairs this morning. May you be honored by the time that we have up here. As we open your word, we want to be people who, who walk alongside Jesus and watch what he is saying and doing that we might imitate him. That we might also not only watch what Jesus does, but hear what Jesus is saying to us so that like the, the woman at the well, we would be someone who receives the gift that Jesus is offering. Not just a one-time gift, but an ongoing experience of you, God. Would you open us to your word? Would you make sure that all of the best parts of what you have to say this morning stick with us? And would you guide us in our next steps that we might not simply hear something that, that encourages us, but, but make us people who then carry it forward into the week, doing our part, having received from you, to move along with you, knowing you more fully, and, and being faithful with what you have given us. Open your scriptures to us this morning, Lord, that we may be open to you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. If you were here in September when Rob uh, was ministering here at that last evening where we had this prayer line, they called it a fire tunnel, and as we, we moved through this prayer line, um, when I went through it, and I, I know that other people heard this as well, but when I went through it, uh, I got to the end and Robbie started laying his hands on me and praying uh, over me. One of the things he said was, I give you my experience. I, don't, I know that some of you mentioned that he said that to you as well. I don't know what to make of that. Uh, that's a very strange thing to say. Um, and I, I, I've had to process that a little bit. I, I give you my experience. Like, what does he mean? It's, I, he's Indian. I didn't grow up in India. He has an accent. He, he's American. I'm Canadian. There. What experience is he talking about? And but the more that I processed, the more I realized that what he was talking about was his experience with God. And, and he wanted to share that with others. And I, that was actually a really rich blessing to pray over someone that for someone who's had um, some really, really profound encounters with God, that he would want to offer that to someone else. I give you my experience. I said, Yeah, I'll take that. I, I can take, I, I'll take any of those blessings. So I thank you for that. What we're going to see in the Gospel of John here is that Jesus wants to give his followers his experience. The, the, one of the main points of Jesus coming is that we become like him. He wants to give us his experience. Olivia, would you put up the, the map? We're going to start where we started last week. Let's start where we ended last week. Right before the story that we are about to get to, Jesus is down here in Jerusalem. That's where he has the conversation with Nicodemus. Right? Chapter 3, and their long dialogue. And after that conversation, it says that Jesus leads Jerusalem and goes out into the Judean countryside, just anywhere out here. Okay? And from there, we're going to pick up our passage and I'm going to read it for you, starting at verse 4. Okay. So he, sorry, starting in verse 3. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So he's down here, and he has to go up here to Galilee. This is about the distance from Red Deer to Edmonton, okay, and south to the north. The quickest way to go is through this place called Samaria. But as you probably know, Jewish people and Samaritans hate one another. They're bitter enemies. It's not, in fact, safe to go through Samaria, not overly safe to pass through Samaria. So the normal thing that people do is go, is, instead of going straight through Samaria to get up to Galilee, they go down to Jericho, and then they travel up along the Jordan River. They're uh, along the bed, not on boats or something like that. I'm talking about they, they're walking through the Jordan Valley. It's, it's much lower. It's not mountainous like it's in here, but it's also safer because you don't have as much of Samaria to it. So that's that's where they're going. Okay, so I'm going to continue reading this passage. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, 
near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So you can see that Cider is on the map. It's right about where the R is. And see oh, it is. Okay, great. Down here. So you can move up this way, right? That's where we are. Came to a town plotted near Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? The Jews don't associate with Samaritans. In fact, the footnote here says, or it might be translated, uh, they don't use the dishes that Samaritans have used. Did you see the movie The Green Book? Yeah, the movie The Green Book, I think it was called Green Book a couple of years back, the one best picture. Uh, there's one of the opening scenes where I think there's some people, maybe painters or some workers that have been in a, a man and an old woman's apartment. And the woman offers these workers a glass of water. Now, the workers are black and she's white. And she offers them a glass of water. They have their glass of water. The husband sees this and takes the cups and throws them into the garbage when they're done drinking. That So um, Jews do not use the dishes Samaritans have used. You get, you're starting to get, get the dynamic here? <laughs> the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come, keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, woman is a way of saying like man to them. It's not disrespectful, okay? It's not overly endearing, but it's not, he's not pushing her away. Just, he doesn't have her name at this point. It's male. Okay. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. The God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah of Christ is coming. And when he comes, he looks like this to us. And Jesus declared, 
I, the one speaking to you, am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Speak to God. Yes. Um, I could probably say this every week. I don't have adequate words for a passage like this. Um, I stumble, honestly. I, I find this particular encounter between Jesus and this woman to be one of the most just amazing ones in the Gospel of John, one of the most amazing in Scripture, and I will not do it justice. I will try. But you are going to hear and see things that I am not going to. Um, I'm going to hear some and see them that you are not going to. That, that's part of why we have conversations, part of why we are in um, a family. And, and the sermon, as I often say, is not the last word in ongoing, it's the next word in ongoing conversation that we should be having over scripture. Okay, so I am not going to cover everything in this passage. I couldn't possibly. And frankly, I, I, I stumble over this because I find it really beautiful and I find it hard to know sometimes how to put good words to something that's already beautiful. But So give me some grace this morning, please. Um, looking like this. It's a tremendous passage. He had to go through Samaria. And we talked about this last week, but I'm going to make the same point again. He doesn't have to go through Samaria. Okay? So we talked about it. He's out here in the Judean countryside and decides to go to Galilee, the straightest ways through Samaria, but normal Jewish people go down to Jericho and up along the Jordan. Okay? He doesn't have to go geographically, sort of as far as roads go. He doesn't have to go to, um, through Samaria to get to Galilee because he's on a time crunch. Okay, he just had a festival. This is not, you don't, you don't pilgrimage to Galilee for a festival. So it's not like he's got to get there for Mary's birthday or for something like, like this or Jewish holiday or something like that. There is an, a different reason entirely for why he had to go through Samaria. And it has absolutely nothing to do with the map. Okay. As we talked about last week, Jesus is the one who is filled with this pyramid. He had to go through Samaria because of this story. How much he knows of that in advance, I can only speculate. Though I have often found with God that he leads one step at a time, and very rarely does he give you the whole picture. So Jesus may have nothing more than an impulse that when they come to the fork in the road, and one goes straight north to Samaria, and one goes east, I always get my directions messed up. One goes east towards the Jordan River, like to, to Jericho, and then up along the Jordan, which is the normal Jewish route. He may have nothing more than an impulse to say, I know we normally go that Jordan Valley route, but I just have this sense from the Spirit that we have to keep going on this road. It may be as simple as that. Okay? That's speculation. It's interesting to nonetheless. But he had to. And as we will see as we go through this passage, the reason that he had to is because he had to bring his experience to a woman that she might have the same experiences he has, that she might have those had to moments for the rest of her life. 
Because Jesus' goal, as you work your way through this passage, is that they receive what he has. He had to go through Samaria so that this woman could have ongoing had-to experiences. He had to go through Samaria. He had to do this so that you and I would have those had-to experiences. Where I can't explain it, but the spirit in me is saying, we go this direction. I speak these words. I sit at this particular place. I wait for the Lord. That we have those times over and over again in our lives. That we become more and more like Jesus. That we might have more of these types of stories to share. He is bringing his experience to this woman. You're going to see it. So he initiates this conversation with her, right? He asks her for a drink. Starts off the conversation. And, you know, they get into it a little bit. And, and um, she's pushing back on him a little bit. She's noticing that, you know, he's he's a Jewish man and she's a, a Samaritan woman. That, that's two boundaries being crossed simultaneously. I'm not going to get into that stuff. Um, but he, he says to her, if, if you knew who was speaking to you and the gift that I have, you'd ask me for the gift. Look at the text with me, will you? Verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you that gift. What's the gift he's talking about? I know it says living water, but what's the gift? What's the gift? Just chew on this for a minute. This is a rich water, all right? I want you to chew on this. I don't need you to throw out the answers necessarily. What's the gift, though? It's not as immediately obvious as you might think, at least... For most of my time reading this passage, what I assumed was the gift was my ticket to heaven. That is not the gift here. Look at verse 14. The water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's not the ticket itself. This is not your entrance rights to heaven, your eternal life as such. What's the gift? It's living water. What's living water? What does John say is living water? Sorry? The Holy Spirit. John makes that absolutely explicit. A couple of chapters later. So if we go to chapter 7, I want you to see this for yourself so this isn't Ben talking more about the Holy Spirit. Okay. Chapter 7, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up in a loud voice and said, Let anyone who is thirsty, same thing, come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water 
will flow out from them. Next verse. By this, he meant the spirit. What's living water? Now you can call it out. The Holy Spirit. I'd always read this woman at the well passage as though it was about the ticket. It's not about the ticket. It's not by itself. It's about a person. The gift that Jesus is offering people is his experience of a person. It's the had two experiences. That, that this woman, having met Jesus, would receive what Jesus has. And that that experience of the Spirit would increase through their lives all the way into eternity. Do you notice the increase? Let, let, again, look at a text. Don't, don't just take Ben's word for it, okay? Please don't take just my word for it. Look at the text. The water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In John 7, it says the same thing. That the, the water in them would actually overflow to the world. Do you have enough of the Holy Spirit right now? Do you? Is there more available? How do you get it? What's the text say? If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is speaking to you, you would ask. You want more of the Holy Spirit? The gift of God? What do you do? You ask. We need more people asking. I need to ask. I ask every single day. Every day. As I leak. Anymore. What I was given yesterday is not enough to sustain me through today. Anymore. You need more, and it starts with asking. And she asks. She says, sir, give me this water. Now, she's still thinking that this is about actual physical water. She says, I don't want to be thirsty anymore. I don't want to keep coming here to draw water. And he says, sure. And then what does he say next? You call your husband. You want more of the Holy Spirit? There's something that we need to address in your life. You call your husband. Why does he do that? What's the situation she's in? She's had five husbands, and she's currently having a man who's not her husband. Now, I am fully aware that 
in our culture and even more in theirs, that we have a mixture here of both her sin and her being sinned against. I am aware of that. Jesus holds her accountable for her sin. The, the man you are currently with is not your husband. He addresses that. And that, in such an interesting way, do you remember a couple of years ago when we used the phrase, um, the term, I, I had a prof, I didn't have this person specifically, I heard of him by name at Regent College. He was known as the Velvet Hammer because he was so gentle and gracious and warm with people. And then they'd hand in their papers and they would just get red all over these papers. And they, they couldn't reconcile the high standards with the grace and the warmth and the love that he showed. And yet that's the life of Christ. That's the Jesus I love and serve. High standards, incredible grace. Incredible mercy, velvet hammer. That's what's happening here. Equal amounts of compassion, and we still have to address this sin issue. Go call your husband. Because if you want living water, we have to deal both with the sin and with the wounds. Like wounds get wrapped up with sin, right? And Jesus wants to deal with both at the same time. You want more of the Holy Spirit? He's probably going to, as you start asking, one of the things that God is going to do as you start asking for more of him is that he is going to change the topic and say, go deal with this. Let's talk about this. And it doesn't seem, like in your mind, it's the answer to what you asked for. But it is. So we need to spend more time listening to the Lord and sitting in silence and then being aware of the circumstances that are happening in our lives and how those are, in fact, his indirect answer to the request that we just made for more of him. Lord, I want more of you, and my life got harder. Lord, I want more of you, and this sin keeps creeping up. Lord, I want more of you, and this person has just become the thorn in my side. Lord, I want to be more loving, and yet this person at the moment is driving me crazy. And we don't realize that that situation is the very answer. It's like the step that gets you to the answer you want. But we have to go through that step. We have to take that next step. You want more of God? What is he bringing up these days in your life and in mine that we actually need to deal with so that we can be ready to receive more of him? But she does what so many of us do. You notice that she dodges? He says, you've had five husbands. The person you're now with, you're, you're, you're currently living out of wedlock, living, you know, etc. Um, and she says, oh, you're a prophet. We should have a religious conversation and theological debate. She 
Is that a conversation about the current sin issue that he just addressed? Or the wounds that she has suffered? No. She changes the topic. How many times do we change the topic with God? She changes the topic and she dodges God. Remember, I have, I've reminded us that as we watch Jesus interacting with people, let's think about our own prayer lives, because the conversations we see in scripture are the same types of ways that he still addresses us. Okay. How many times do we dodge? Something comes to mind, Lord, I want more of you, and then something comes to mind, and it's the thing that he wants to address. We go, let's address. And I love the way he navigates this. It's just incredible. You know, the, the Jews and the Samaritans. So up in Samaria, there's this place called Mount Gerizim. The Samaritans worshipped there. It was actually the place where in Deuteronomy, they were to proclaim blessings on Mount Gerizim. They were to proclaim curses on Mount Ebal or something like that. Anyway, the Samaritans really reverenced this place. Samaritans only recognized the first five books in the Bible. So they didn't do prophets and so on after that. So um, this, this place was hallowed, right? It was blessed by God in Deuteronomy, the, the last book of their Bible as, as Samaritans. And so the Samaritans built a temple there. It was eventually destroyed, but they still continued to worship there, even though there wasn't a temple, because it was still a sacred space to them. And she wants to talk about the differences between Jews and Gentiles. She wants to talk about the differences in theology. She wants to talk about stuff that's safer. And notice how Jesus navigates this, right? He says, look at verse 21. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither here, Samaria, this mountain, he's talking about Mount Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem, Mount Zion. You Samaritans, and here's the velvet hammer again. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. You don't know what you're talking about, baby. That's the slightly more crass than what probably Jesus was saying here, but he, he's, act, he's still correcting. And then he goes on. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but at times coming when that debate that you've just raised isn't going to matter. When the true worshipers will worship the Father, where? In what space? Look at verse 23. The time is coming when the true worshipers will not worship in one sacred space. They will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. These are worshipers God is seeking. It's not there for him. God is not interested in our religion. The mindless routines uh, of praying a set prayer without your mind actually being involved in it. God is not interested in your religious routines where you come to church on autopilot because that's what we do every Sunday. That, that doesn't bless God by itself. He's not looking for rituals and routines. He wants something deeper in spirit and in truth. He wants the whole of us. It has to go all the way down. I give you my experience. Jesus' experience 
was worshiping God from top to bottom, wherever he was, in spirit and in truth. Notice the truth part. She doesn't just get to get away with what she has defined as what is right. He actually says, no, you don't know. Your worship still needs to conform to revealed truth. Those of you on the recording, I'm holding out the Bible. It has to conform to this. We don't get to just make it up and get in spirit has to be qualified within truth so that people don't just go, I I can go have my emotional religious experience wherever I want, whatever I want. As though it has nothing to do with how God has revealed himself and who he is. These two things go together. We need the scriptures. We equally need the spirit evoking worship in us that we might offer our whole beings to God. But it's offering our whole beings to the one who has revealed himself. We see it revealed here. These are the people that the the Father is, you see it, seeking. I say this a lot. I'll say it again. God is not passive. He's not kicking back from heaven with his arms folded, just passively observing what's going on. He is actively looking for people who will fully engage with him. And what's going to happen when he sees that people are actually seeking him? They're going to get Jesus' experience. Father is looking for people who want to know him more. As much as you might think you are on the lookout for God, you are asking for more of him. He's looking for you even more. There are some times where I get caught up in my pursuit of God and I think, man, God, if you just put some effort in here, when I'm being really honest, and yet God has been putting in far more effort than I have. He's looking for you. He wants you. You remember that story of the prodigal son? Son goes off, makes a mess of his life. And on his way home, what he encounters is a father who isn't sitting in his living room waiting for someone to walk through the door. He's watching for that prodigal son to come home. The Father is looking for you. The Father wants to meet with you more than you want to meet with him. Do you hear that? God wants you more than you want him. You came here this morning looking for God. He came here this morning looking for you even more. Wherever you're at, and regardless of the week that you have had, Because, of course, look who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to someone with a past and a present. Neither of them are good. And this person, who has never sinned at all, had to go through Samaria to have this conversation with this woman. He's looking for you, regardless of the week that you had. 
What changes this one? I assume it is the sum total of the conversation that they have, and yet she doesn't run back and tell everyone, I had this meeting with Jesus until his final words. I find this really curious. Look at the text once again. I, I, I think I brought it out when I was reading, but after Jesus has said, you know, that this whole thing about you're going to worship in spirit and in truth, she kind of sighs. She's like, okay, you've got an answer. I'm still not sure about what you're saying, but I know that someday God will sort it out. Messiah's one day will come. And all he has to say is, I, the one speaking to you, I'm he. I, I'm, I'm the Messiah. It's me. And there's something that happens in that moment where there's a click that's made in her that previously wasn't there. And it's at that point that she then runs to tell the rest of the, the town about her, about her meeting with Jesus. It's at a point where Jesus suddenly reveals himself in a new way. And I can't manufacture that. that that's something between you and God. That's something between me and God. But once again, I can ask. I would encourage you now, in this moment, we're going to take a moment to listen. Lord, what, what are the words that you want to bring up? What are the things that you want to bring up from this? Not what has been said, but what are you bringing up for me? But I'm also going to ask that the Lord reveal himself to you in the personal way that makes a click, just like it did for this woman, because I can't explain it. It's something he does. I'm asking that he will do it for you, too. For me, too. Let's take a moment. Let's listen. Let's pray. Lord, as we close our eyes, would you reveal yourself? So that like this woman, we, we come, get living water, and go tell everyone we know. Lord, in this moment of silence, would you reveal yourself?
It's been a while since we've done this. Um, are there any questions? Something you want to throw out there? Say, I'd like some clarification on this. But what about that? Lydia asked, why is it that we should keep asking for the Holy Spirit when it says you won't be thirsty again? That's a very good question. I may not give you an adequate answer. And if you're not satisfied with it, I'm not sure I am either. But we're going to go with it for now. And you can ask the other wise people in your row there as well. Okay. Is it because God wants to have a continuous re? Dedication and continuous conversation with us daily. Mm -hmm. Because he wants to renew um, that relationship constantly. Mm -hmm. I don't know, it just uh, the thought that I came to. So Sheila's suggestion was that there's God wants ongoing dependence. Then, then we must keep coming to him because um, Soul Care mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. If God just fixed all the problems, we would ignore God. God's, God's first priority isn't actually fixing us. His first priority is that we know him. And sometimes we can't, we can't get that the fix because that would cut off the relationship. It's entirely possible. I can't get away from his words, though, about um, if, if you drink this water, you won't thirst again. And we're saying we're drinking, and yet we want more. Anyone else have any other suggestions? Christina? When she asked that question, I had the image of you have a, like a huge buffet where you're surrounded by food and it's all around you and you're in the midst of it. But you can still be separate from it. That if you don't actually take the step up to the table to receive or to take some of the stuff that's there, we can be in the midst of everything and have plenty around us. But part of what we need to do is reach out. And accept some of that. And I, I think it ties a little bit back into 
that sense of dependence that what is my role in this as well. Mm -hmm. I can be surrounded by stuff and I may not be hungry, but, but if I don't seek it, I can mm -hmm. cut my own self off. Mm -hmm. So Christina's saying that there, there's a level of ownership that we need to have in the process. Uh, I think so. I, I, I don't know. I was, I was just saying that the picture that came to my head, so I'm not sure what it exactly might mean. That we, we, we see that there's so much that God offers us, and yet it, it's all at a distance until we, we, we come and we do our part asking for it. So, and that's part of it again. Yep. Um, I think we're all seeing partial things here. Um, and yet we still can't get away from the words that if you come and you do drink, he says you'll never thirst again. So then why are we asking for more all of the time? John? I wonder if it's uh, the wording of we want more, as in that's more of like an exchange language, whereas the Holy Spirit is more relational. And so I think what we're our hearts cry should be is because I want I want I want a deeper I want a deeper experience relationally with you with the Holy Spirit. Um, it's not. And in that, you're getting more of him. Um, but I think of it as uh, some people want a deeper experience with the Holy Spirit, but they're only dating And they're only dating him on weekends. Um, and they're only spending an hour with him. I think the Holy Spirit wants to, to have a marriage with us. And in a relationship that's that's committed and deeper, and so our, our prayer, Lord, fill me. Is is what do I need to cut off of myself, and what do I need to commit more to you? Like, I think we need to think of the Holy Spirit. He's he is Jesus. He is God, but it's relational, and so the more of if we start thinking of it on a relational level, um, I think it makes more sense as more to an exchange of, of uh, like a transitional exchange. Um, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but it, I think we need to start thinking of it as more of a, of a committed relationship with the spirit and to what the spirit is calling us to do. That's good, Joel. Um, Joel's reminding us that, that God doesn't want to date you. Um, baptism is, remember we talked about this a number of weeks ago, baptism is marriage and funeral. So God is not interested in you simply taking your next step with God. He wants you to be all in, and it starts with the baptism. And so it's, it's, it's the death of myself, and, and rising to a whole life that's entirely dedicated to him. And then they change, we change the metaphor, and then we say it's a marriage, where we say we let go of everyone and everything else for one person. And, and it's about going deeper with one person for the rest of our lives. 
don't know how fully I can bridge that metaphor to the, the thirsting thing, but um, I want to continue to grow deeper in my marriage with Chantel and not simply coast and be satisfied with life as it is. Though I am content and grateful, there is yet more available. We can still become closer friends, etc. And it, it's a little bit like that with the Holy Spirit. That, um, like Joel said, it, it's not simply this transactional exchange of I, I give you this, give me that. But it, it, it's more of growing deeper and deeper in relationship. And you, you notice that the language is that you will have something welling up in you to eternal life. It's this increasing process, this increasing growth with this other person that, that the Holy Spirit takes over more and more and more of me. So we ask for increase because God wants increase. Um, I still don't know that I can fully answer the the, the what? The thirsting thing? Except to say that the only thing that I, I think he wants us thirsting for would be more of himself. Yeah, Marco. I'm wondering why Jesus asked her for water when later on the disciples come back and offer him food and he refused to say, I'm satisfied. And I'm, I'm just seeing in this passage, it's similar to his conversation with Nicodemus before, and how he's challenging Nicodemus's understanding of the law. Here he is, here he is I think he's challenging her perception and her understanding of. of what it means to be again to be born again. He's, he's, it's like he's using an opening sentence or something. He wants to trigger her to start asking questions. Mm -hmm. Why not just say, hey, I have to get for you. you. Want it? Mm -hmm. It doesn't come straight out off of that kid. He wants to start a conversation. Yeah. He wants to he wants to start a conversation and also identify needs simultaneously, right? That she does have this need and he has, he is content, right? Um, he, he's tired, probably thirsty as well, but at that deeper level, having, having followed the spirit to the point where he knows he needs to be up as well and have this conversation, there's contentment there. And, and it's not that we're not having more of a conversation until you give me what I need, right? Until you give me water. Um, he uses that to start something. And, and yeah, we will get into that next week as he, he says, the disciples come back, what Mark was referencing is that the disciples come back and Jesus says, I'm not hungry. Like I, I'm being fed right now by doing what I'm doing, having this exchange with this woman. And so if I'm hearing you correctly, part of what you're saying is that she's a, Jesus is identifying that she has thirst at one level, but she has thirst at a different level that he needs to get to. Is that right? But he, he's, he, and I think 
directly back to how you started with the message this morning about Ravi saying how we might experience he's he's doing the same and the, the Holy Spirit is really doing the same thing. He is so one with the Holy Spirit that he knows what to ask to start that conversation. Because they are they're, they're so you know, like you described, they're so polar opposites. How do you connect with somebody where you have no way of connecting with them? Yeah. And the spirit gives them that leading. That's great, Mark. We should stop there because you, you finished it up for us. For those of you on the recording, you can maybe hear what Mark was saying. He's saying that Jesus is so in touch with the Holy Spirit in terms of his leading that he knows how to start a conversation with someone he has nothing in common with. Right? They come from entirely different worlds. And yet the Lord leads him to have this conversation at this time with this person. And here's how you started. We'll, we'll talk more about that next week, possibly. Um, but I want that. Not just that I had to go to that particular well. But I had to say this, and I had to start here. You, G, Jesus is flowing with the Spirit entirely. And that's the experience that is on offer for us. That as we are more and more and more filled with Him, emptying ourselves more and more of, of frankly, the fears that we have when it comes to interacting with people who are different than us, when it comes to um, what should I say to someone who is mildly interested in asking about Jesus and all of the fears and anxieties well up in us? Because I don't have the answers and I didn't go to Bible college and I, I'll bring you to church because I know someone Frankly, I'm as afraid as you are most of the time. Um, but if, if we, we learn to be filled with the Spirit and to be at peace in that particular place so that we can hear from the Lord, and follow his leading, and we'll have more I had to. And I want to see more results like this. Because I want to have these kinds of conversations. Someone recently told me about a conversation that they had where it was very much a I had to. I had to go to this particular place and I had to have this particular conversation. And by the end of it, person said, I knew you had to be here for this conversation. Along with the spirit, good good fruit came from it. Can't share more, um, but it's a true story, even if it's big. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would take each one of us and give us Jesus' experience. So, Lord, would you get all the stuff out of the way that needs to be gotten out of the way so that we can more fully access the gift that you are giving and the living water that you are pouring out and, and welling up in us so that we have more conversations like this, so that more people get to share in what it is that you have been saying and doing in our lives and the ways you've been revealing yourself, that they might too, they too might have living water and find that their lives are transformed because of it. And then that, that would then have the ripple effect 
to the rest of the town. Lord, I want this. I want this for me. So Lord, would you and you show us and how to deal with and respond to the things that you bring up that are actually in life. That we might have more of you and more of your experience and may it be for the sake of the world the sake of the people who don't yet know Jesus. And may it all be so that like Jesus says, you, Father, get the worshipers that you are seeking who will worship in spirit and in truth. That we might bless you with the life that you pour into us and we offer it back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn that over,